0: We're going to have an awesome time in here. So, right? Yeah. Back in the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs 6. We're breaking new ground. We're in a new chapter. If you've got a Bible we provide for you, it's on page 530. And our text this morning is verses 1 through 5, chapter 6. So, as we break into this passage, this this shorter passage this morning, uh, we're going to see another word of instruction that Solomon gives to his son concerning the challenges and temptations he's very likely to encounter in life. He he doesn't give this uh, instruction, especially in these first uh, nine chapters, the opening chapters, for things that... It's a long shot that he'll ever have to deal with in life. He's trying to give him uh, advice and counsel and wisdom for matters that he's very likely to encounter. And he wants to equip his son. So Solomon's goal is to equip him with godly wisdom. And to equip us with godly wisdom so that we may successfully navigate through life. We talked about that. That's the goal of having wisdom. It allows us to navigate through life in this fallen world in a way that honors the Lord with the time that we have while he keeps us here we want to navigate through life so that we may experience the blessing of living life God's way and to avoid making foolish and sinful choices that have destructive consequences so let's read our our passage our text starting verse one my son if you have put up security for your neighbor have given your pledge for a stranger If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter like a bird from the hand of a fowler. So in this passage, we have a a short, straightforward word of instruction in which Solomon addresses a a particular financial situation that can have devastating consequences and is therefore to be avoided altogether. So in verse 1, we have the situation that he presents, hypothetical situation. My son, if you have put up security... For your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger. And so you see that that phrase, put up security. To put up security for another person basically means to agree to be legally responsible for that person's debt or financial obligation. You're putting up security for them, you're agreeing to be legally responsible for that person's debt. And then we have this phrase translated as given your pledge. And these, these two things are, it's the same situation that he's describing. And to give your pledge in the Hebrew literally says, struck your hands. Struck your hands. In other words, you made this agreement and you shook on it. You struck a deal. This meant that the agreement was official and legally binding. It's like signing a contract, essentially. You make an agreement, you struck a deal, makes it formal, makes it official, legally binding. You struck a deal, you signed the contract. By putting up security for someone, you're promising that you will pay what that person owes if that person does not pay. Do you see the situation? Do you think it sounds like a really simple, good situation to be in? Or put yourself in? You're agreeing to pay what that person owes if that person or when that person does not pay. And this kind of arrangement is basically the same today as it was in Solomon's day. Typically, it's made when a person's trying to borrow a large sum of money that he would unlikely be able to pay back. So he's trying to buy, borrow something that really is outside of his means to afford. It's Very unlikely that he'll be able to pay it back. And the person he's asking to borrow money from would really not be willing to, to lend him that amount unless, unless he got someone else, someone who actually had the means to afford it, means to pay unless you got someone else to agree to be the backup plan and having this third person in the picture would give the lender the one who's going to loan the money or the property more confidence that he would get it back and this third person we commonly refer to as a cosigner cosigner are you familiar with that have you ever cosigned don't answer all they have maybe but by the way it's not just for money loans that some people can have a, a co-signer for to put up security for someone else, but also for rental agreements. And maybe that's more of you have encountered that kind of situation. You're going to move into an apartment. This is earlier on in life or whatever. You're moving into an apartment and you want to get some roommates so you can afford it. And perhaps they say, well, based on what you all make and everything, uh, we, need, we need you to get a co-signer. And usually, and I, Laura and I were apartment managers for a little while, we would see that situation. They might be college students, and they'd have to get daddy or mommy to co-sign that lease. And then the property owner says, all right, we can rent it out to you because we know you might not be able to pay, but we got them now. We got them on the contract. So we have rental agreements, money loans, things of that sort, and they're they're done for the same reason. For the people borrowing the, the property or trying to rent, they're, they're not able to afford it, and they're trying... Uh, to rent it, so the property owner would insist that they get someone who can afford it to co-sign for them to be their backup plan. So, keep in mind, Solomon says if. If. This is a hypothetical situation. He's not actually, this isn't like his son is in this situation, but he's presenting to him as if he was. So he, if he did put himself in this situation, which the point of this instruction is that he would not, but he would know what to do. So we have this hypothetical situation that Solomon's presenting in verse 1. And it's one in which someone has put up security or cosign for someone else. That is, someone needed a cosigner, and his son has, hypothetically speaking, he's he's volunteered to be that cosigner and he has struck the deal. It is official. And Solomon refers to this someone else as a neighbor and as a stranger. And both of these terms. The Hebrew words that are translated neighbor and stranger in their most general sense really simply just refer to someone other than you. Someone other than you. Neighbor has a positive connotation. we are like, oh, my neighbor. Stranger, you know, stranger danger. Right. But in a sense, sense, they both are really referring to someone else. And, you know, there might be varying degrees to which you know that person. Because some people you might call a stranger. It doesn't mean you absolutely do not know them at all. But you might not know them that well. But your neighbor could be, could be a friend. Could be a, a relative. So it's someone other than you. So Solomon's not warning his son about putting up security or co-signing for a particular kind of person. But really for any person at all. That's really what he's getting at. It really doesn't matter if it's someone you don't know, which, why would you? Uh, but it also could be someone you know really well. All of that's covered. Putting up security for anyone is the situation that's to be avoided. Cosigning for anyone is the situation that's to be avoided. And this is affirmed later in Proverbs, where Solomon simply states this in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-six: Be not one of those who give pledges. Strike your hands in agreement. Be not one of those who gives pledges who put up security for debts. And debts right there is referring to contractual loans. It's a contract. Don't do it. There's wisdom right there, a little nugget. Don't do it. Avoid it altogether. And it said, put up security. It didn't say for what kind of person. It just said, don't do it altogether. However, If you're in this situation, if you have put up security for someone else's debt or financial obligation, then according to verse 2, here's the reality of the situation. Verse 2. He goes on to say, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth. So if you've done it, the reality is, he's saying, you're trapped. What are you caught in? What are you caught in? The words of your mouth the words of your mouth, in the words of your mouth. This is your own doing. So when you do this, this is your own doing. You're getting caught in the words of your mouth. And here's the thing. No one can make you put up security for someone else. You have to agree to do it. This is totally a voluntary uh, situation that you have to put yourself into. It's entirely up to you. And so once you strike that deal, once you co-sign the contract... That agreement is legally binding, and you are essentially bound by your own words, your own agreements, your own oath, the terms of that agreement which you affirmed and made official. So keep in mind, Solomon does not just say that you are now, you're now committed, son, you're you're now committed, you don't say, all right, son, you're now stuck, kind of stuck there. He says, you have been captured. You've been captured. In other words, you're in danger. This deal that you have agreed to puts you at serious risk. You say, why well, I just why I does sign my name? He just, need, he just needs somebody else to put his name on contract. You know, This is just a hypothetical situation, right? It might come to that. It probably won't. He says, you're at serious risk. You have been captured. By the way, in the ancient world, if, if someone did not have the money to pay a debt, even after he sold all that he had, the lender could enslave him and his family. They'd come and you know take possessions. All right, that's not enough. Sell so them into slavery. We can take your children. You can even take you. And there are examples of that throughout Scripture that we see. So the danger in putting up security for someone else was not that you could just lose a lot of money, but that if you didn't have enough to pay what was owed, you could lose your possessions and even your family's freedom. Doesn't sound like a good situation to be in. While you may not be literally enslaved today, right? maybe times have changed, sure, the financial burden of of having to pay someone else's debt, and usually it's a big one, that financial burden can still have a, a devastating and crippling effect on your life. To the point where you you suffer the loss of many freedoms and privileges and are weighed down with all sorts of resulting trouble. Now in verses 3 through 5, we have Solomon's instruction to his son, which communicates God's wisdom on the matter for this situation. If you put up security for your neighbor, verse 3, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten. And plead urgently with your neighbor. Solomon does not say, you put up security for your neighbor. Well then, honor your commitment. Uh, Don't let your neighbor down. He doesn't say that, does he? He does not say, don't worry. Don't worry. Your neighbor is the one who who has to make the payments. You just agreed to cover him. If for some crazy reason he isn't able to pay. Uh, And that's unlikely to happen. He doesn't say that. Solomon's word of wisdom in this case is that you should take immediate action and save yourself. Save yourself. Again, this implies that you're in danger. You need to save yourself. Why? Because, he says, you have come into the hand of your neighbor. You've come into the hand of your neighbor. In other words, you have essentially put yourself in his hands. Now, when you put up security for someone. Your legal agreement, okay, is it's technically not with the borrower, but with the one lending. It's with the owner, the lender. The lender is actually the one that you struck the deal with. You're not strike your neighbor's hands like, I'll do it for you, man. That's unofficial. The strike in the hands is with the lender, the contract. You made the agreement with him. Sure, you did it for your neighbor, for the borrower, To benefit him, maybe help him out, but your legal obligation is to the lender. You essentially made an oath to the lender saying, all right, okay, if he doesn't pay, if he doesn't pay you what he owes when he owes it, I'll pay. I'll pay. So there's my agreement to you. I'm putting up, giving you some security here. Let my friend, let my friend borrow the money. I'll sign. So that's what your oath is to him, your agreements with him. Now, some would say that in that situation, you're really, if you're in the hand of anyone, it's, you're probably in the hand of the lender, right? You're legally obligated with that contract since he has your name on that contract. And for, some, for that reason, some people believe that the neighbor here is referring to the lender, but I don't believe that's the case, and here's why. He's still referring to the borrower when he says you've come into his hand. Here's why. When you have this sort of arrangement, okay, you've got a borrower, a lender, and little old you, the co-signer. The one who puts up security. Who is the one who determines how that's going to play out? We've all made this agreement. Good. Who's the one who really is going to determine how that's going to play out? Whether it's going to go good or poorly. It's the borrower, right? Whether or not you'll have to pay is in his hands. I mean, you might not have to pay anything. You're like, see, I I signed. I helped him out. It didn't cost me anything. But that's really up to him. Whether it's going to cost you. And I believe that's the point Solomon's making here when he's saying you've come into the hand of your neighbor. It's not that the lender has the legal right to come and get what is owed from you, which he does, but that's not the point Solomon's making here. Solomon tells his son what he must do in order to save himself. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor, Psalm verse 3. He doesn't say go to the lender. The lender is not going to let you back out of the agreement. He would, why would he, right? The only reason he lent the money in the first place is because you said, all right, you can, I know he's a risk, but hey, I've, I've got his back, so I've got means you can get back what you're lending. The only reason he was willing to do it was because of you. So he's not, you're not going to say, because you screw money, and I, I made a mistake. And he's like, well, he's got my money, so no. There's no incentive there. You don't go to the lender. The only reason he would be willing to, lend his, uh, or to, to let you out of the agreement, so, so to speak, is that if he got his money back. There's property back. So you need to go. You need to hurry up. You need to hasten. You need to plead urgently with your neighbor. And the Hebrew verb that's translated as hasten means, literally means to, to trouble yourself. Trouble yourself. To exert yourself to the point of exhaustion. And the Hebrew verb that is translated as plead urgently literally means to press. Also means to storm and, and assault. You know, but it doesn't mean you know, to your neighbor. It just means you got to Press. You need to trouble yourself to the point of exhaustion. You need to press your neighbor. One commentator puts it this way. Press your plea aggressively. Don't take no for an answer. Push it even if you are almost obnoxious. That's what Solomon's telling his son to do. You've got to press him until he caves. The idea here is that you are acting with a sense of urgency and that you're being shamelessly persistent because you're at great risk. Save yourself. Now look at verse 4. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. point here is that you can't, you can't even wait or you can't afford to wait until the following day. You need to act now. You need to act now, immediately. And you can't afford the luxury of a nap. You need to keep up the effort in working with your neighbor to get yourself out of this obligation. Now's not time for taking a little nap, son. You need to go. You need to save yourself. Verse 5. Save yourself in what way? Well, like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter. Like a bird from the hand of a fowler. What do you think a gazelle or a bird does when, when it gets caught in a trap? Does it take a nap? Does it kind of wait uh, yeah. okay, tomorrow I'll start figuring out what to do. I got a picture here. Yeah, does he look uh, like he's just relaxing? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to tug at your heartstrings there. <laughs> Time is of the essence. I don't know what that guy's doing in the background, but, but who knows when he's coming for him. The matter is urgent. Look at the desperation there screaming out, I have got to get out of this trap. It's not just sitting there, not waiting a while before it tries to get free. It freaks out and immediately starts doing everything in its power to escape. You can take it down (laughs) now. You get the idea. One commentator says this, just as a gazelle or a bird, if trapped, would immediately begin struggling for its life, so, a person snared by a foolish debt agreement should frantically fight to be free of it. Solomon's instructions in verses 3 through 5 are, are basically this, communicating this central idea Do everything you possibly can to be released from your contractual obligation to cover someone else's debt. Do everything you possibly can. Act now. It is urgent. Save yourself no matter how difficult it may be and no no matter how long it may take. Well, the good news here, there's good news, is that Solomon's instruction indicates that there is a possibility that you can free yourself from this situation, from the situation of being somebody else's cosigner. I mean, again, you can't just go out and say, made a mistake and you just, all right, I'm good. Uh, It takes work. It takes over. There are avenues, or channels you have to go through, and you've got to go to your neighbor, really. You can't go around him to the lender. You have to go to him. But you have a, there's a possibility you can get out of it. So it's not just, you're done, man. You better hope he pays. Mm. Here's wisdom for you. Go, save yourself. There's a possibility you can get out of this agreement. Now, there's no guarantee that you will. You have to deal with this. Is, this is, again, if a foolish decision was made, you might have to live with the consequences. Usually you do. But sometimes you can get out of those things and not have to suffer those consequences. There's a possibility if you take action and stay the course, you can get out. What exactly would this action involve today? And again, it's really simple up front. We know we need to immediately go to the person we, we co-signed for and persistently press them, but, but how exactly do we get released from this contractual obligation? First things First. Uh, in a money loan situation, just, you know, if we're going to deal with this, usually a big loan's taken out. Okay, the money is lent. You're the co-signer. You go immediately to your friend, to your neighbor, to the borrower. And if the person you co-signed for has not yet spent the money, guess what? What can he do? Oh, well, he can just give it back. You're like, okay, that was close. Do you see why it would be urgent to say, you act now, because he might not have spent the money yet. You can get out. That would be a wonderful, simple solution. He could just give the money back if he hadn't spent the money yet, and then he could simply agree to work out some other arrangement. Okay, all right, I'll give it back and I'll work something else out. Buddy, if you're really friends. This is why it is so important to go to him as soon as possible. It's a small window of opportunity, but let's say he gets past this this point. All right, if if he has spent the money, well, you still have a chance to save yourself. Again, you're not going to give your eyes sleep over the matter. You're not going to be like, oh, oh. Okay, I'm, I'm trapped still. I'm not going to get out. If he has spent the money, uh, again, the, the situation will then be more complicated and it'll take more effort and time to resolve, but there's still an opportunity, a couple that I could find. Again, I'm, I'm not coming to you as financial advisor, okay? Brother in Christ, reading the word of God, we're going to look at some of these principles here and, and try to apply them to uh, an everyday situation. I'll tell you what though, you know somebody who's got that kind of expertise, financial advising, works with banking and stuff, they're going to have some great knowledge that you can benefit from. Great wisdom. But two basic solutions they are going to take more time and effort, but still are ways that you can get out. You have to wait until your neighbor one is qualified to actually petition this, this lender um, to basically have you released as the cosigner. That's not going to be immediate either. He's not going to be like, oh, can you just take them off now? It's going to be, what does he have to do? Well, usually there's a, a designated period of consecutive on-time payments that he has to make to prove that, okay, you're capable. I see. Or until his income increases. And he, has, he actually has the means, and he's no longer at risk, okay? But that might take some time. Maybe you even need to help him with that to get to that point. Another solution is that you have to wait until your neighbor's able to take out a, a second loan in his own name to pay off that first loan, and then, bam, it's all with him. This one's taken care of. But again... He would have to get the means to be able to do that. So both of these solutions they'll take time, and it may require that you somehow help your neighbor. You somehow help. You don't just sit around and wait. Man, I hope he pays. You might have to go help him. Hey, buddy. Hey, I really want to help you out. I mean, I actually really. Am, I don't think I can take this burden, but I want to work with you to get to the situation where I can be released. You, you, can, you can help him out and get to the point where he can have you released as co-signer and he can get to this point where he can take out a loan of his own. But if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes, right? You don't say, ugh, okay, whatever, I'll just throw it up to, to chance. It's far better than remaining in the trap that you put yourself in to make every effort and to stay the course. Now we when we consider this small passage, this instruction that we read, in Proverbs. We have to keep in mind that although it says that, it says what to do if you're in this situation, again, we said it's hypothetical. The reason he's presenting this hypothetical situation, the ultimate goal of this instruction, is that we would never put ourselves in this situation in the first place. So if really you want to achieve the goal of the lesson, it is, I will not put myself in this situation. You won't say, okay, good to know, I'll have a little more heads up when I do put myself in this situation of how to get out if I choose to do that. No, he's like, don't ever do it. Putting up security for someone else is foolish. I mean, that's the general consensus of God's word. It's foolish. It's never wise. It's never wise. You might hear a lot of arguments like, well, you know, if you do this, you hear some pros and cons, but these are really a lot of pros. It's never wise. Scripture says it's never wise. It's never the best option, never the best option. I feel comfortable with saying that. It's not. I think it's safe to say that it's never even a good option. Proverbs 17, 18 says, one who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's one who lacks sense that does that. Proverbs eleven fifteen: Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. In this kind of arrangement, what is common, and even expected, it's expected that you'll end up paying for it to some extent. It's going to cost you. It's expected. So hence, why he words that it will surely. It's expected that you will surely suffer harm if you done. It, basically, that's you should expect that. But he who hates striking hands and pledge. Is secure. He avoids it at all costs. So if you want some additional contemporary insight on this subject, simply go to the internet. Uh, the age of the internet. Information. Again, I mean, we're, we're just talking about a basic principle, right? Basic principles. We have, there are a lot of complicated issues, situations in which this is the case where you might be asked to put up security for someone, but do some research. You can actually learn a lot. If you just do a little read, do, on the first search results page, you could type in, should I co-sign alone? Question mark, quotes in. Do a search. The internet, this is interesting, the internet seems to collectively affirm God's wisdom on the matter. <laughs> what do you know? Every article I came across absolutely advised against it. One article I read had the following t- title. You co-signed alone. They defaulted. What now? Well, the very first thing the author said was this, it, 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 This article opens this way. The advice for cosigning a loan for a family member or friend is always virtually the same. Uh, don't do it. <laughs> but what if you ignore that advice and cosign? Um, and the loan goes south for reasons beyond your control. The author then goes on this article he presents many courses of action you could take here you could do this, you could do that you could probably do this. Then at the very end he says, "But that's the thing about extracting yourself from a cosine loan. There are no good solutions to pick only the least revolting one." <laughs> also, we can go online and, and guess what? Endless testimonials, endless testimonials online that you could you could read which in which people share how being a co-signer worked out for them. How did it work out for you, buddy? I don't know you, but, you know, again, uh, you do product reviews, Yelp. You know, we want to, okay, what's this, what's this place like? A lot of people have bought this product. What do you think? You know, I want to know. And again, actually, the interesting thing about that is that, in a sense, is wisdom because if something's a commonly experienced in, in society, that's kind of the, the general experience, it's, that's telling you something. Generally true. generally happens. Here's one person's story. Again, I just want I want, I want you to see kind of just these everyday examples. I co-signed a loan for $18,000 for my son's fiance. Oh. But it's your son's fiance. Come on. Can be your daughter-in-law. I co-signed an $18,000 loan for my son's fiance. Her parents had stopped giving her money. I wonder why, but no judgment here. Let's just read the story, okay? So I stepped in to help. It was a major mistake! Exclamation point! She later dumped my son and is now married to another man. I'm no longer in contact with her. For years, I have tried to be released as a cosigner. Well, she's trying, right? The bank told me I had to wait until she made on-time payments for 48 consecutive months. From what I understand, that's actually kind of on the long side for the usual situation. Last June, I saw in my credit report that she made enough payments to pass that threshold. All right, almost there. I called up the lender, but it told me it no longer had the loan. Uh, The loan is now with the new lender. I called the new place and was told the primary borrower had to initiate the release. Yeah, yeah, I got that. Okay. Uh, The company called her twice, but got no answer. Usually happens, doesn't it? The company said it would contact me, but never did. Recently, I received a letter from the company saying it did not receive last month's payment, and that one of us needs to make that payment in order to keep our, our good credit standing. <laughs> just one of countless stories. It's just one of countless stories of, of how one's decision to put up security for somebody else proved to be a major mistake. Most common, most common reason, again, many different situations, scenarios. Most common reason people give uh, as to why, why they co-sign for someone else in the first place. Whether it was for a an actual, like, direct relative or a friend, future daughter-in-law, prospective daughter-in-law, or even an acquaintance, someone they don't know, I mean, they know, but not really well, but they have a good feeling about the reason they give why the cosine is that they were trying to help that person out, and that's, that's like a good motive, right? That's at least at least you're trying to do something good. I mean, you're not just saying, "I feel like making a really foolish decision today." Yeah, I'm cosine. I actually wanted to do something foolish, right? I mean, no, your your heartstrings, right? You're like, oh, how can I help? Oh, I just need the cosine. Okay, I can do that. I'm gonna help you out. However. Co-signing for someone is never the only way. It's never the only way that you can help that person out. It's never the only way. Even if they say, it's the only way, man. I've got to get this. It's the only way you can help me out. That's baloney. It's never the only way. There are plenty of other options that don't require you to carelessly risk your own financial stability and perhaps risk much more than that. I would actually go so far as to say that by co-signing for someone... You're not really helping that person out. You are not helping them out. Because you are basically encouraging and enabling them to live outside of their means and to take on a responsibility that they are likely to be unable to fulfill. How is that helping them? Here's what one columnist said in in an article, and again, this was just so direct to everything we've been talking about this morning. I had to share it. It's A little lengthy, but... Rather than just saying, hey, go home and read this article. Hey, what would you think of the article? You didn't read it yet? Okay, well, we're going to read it today. Here's the the title. Why you should never, ever co-sign a loan for anyone. Here it is. Co-signing loans is risky. How risky? Well, according to the Federal Trade Commission, depending on the type of the loan, as many as three out of four primary borrowers default. On their obligations, leaving the cosigner to pay. The odds are not in your favor. <laughs> this is, after all, why they need a cosigner. They're not good credit risks, either because they have too much debt already or because they don't pay their bills on time. If you think that they really need the money and that you're not just helping, Someone dig themselves even deeper into financial irresponsibility, then my advice is to just give them the money. Give them the money? Give them the money? I can't possibly afford to do that. Well, my friend, given the default rates of primary borrowers, that is what you're doing when you cosign with the additional cost of origination fees, interest payments, late fees, and collection fees, a black mark on your credit report, and probably a destroyed relationship. <laughs> Saying no to someone who wants you to co-sign can be, a, it can be very hard. It can be hard. All right. Usually it is a good friend or a loved one. We understand that. Often with big financial troubles, it's hard to say no. That doesn't mean that you can't give people financial help. That doesn't mean you can't help. Again, not the only way. You can loan them money, or better yet, give them a little money as seed capital. $1,500 to buy a beater to get to work. That's better than taking out a co-sign $18,000 loan. $500 to put down for a secured credit card to start rebuilding their credit. You can help them out. And you can always help them get their spending under control by working their budget with them. You can assist them. You don't necessarily have to even do a handout. You have to think through these situations. Often, of course, this type of help will be refused. Uh, They don't want a beater. They want a decent car that will look good in that driveway. They don't want help budgeting. They, They want a lower interest rate so they don't have to cut their lifestyle to the bone. But you're not really helping someone if you assist them to take on a large car loan when they have had historical trouble paying their bills or to refinance their debt without attacking the spending that brought on the debt in the first place. Helping people to avoid dealing with their problems isn't much help at all. Wow. Wow. I don't even know if this one is a believer, but that's just straight up biblical wisdom right there. One final point that I want us to consider before we close is this God's wisdom against putting up security for someone else's debts, which also implies that uh, when he says that we should never put up security for someone else's debt, what's implied here in this instruction is this, we should not be asking anyone to put up security for us, for any of our financial obligations. You see that? Don't do it for someone else, and guess what? You don't be that someone else. Hey, man, can you cosign? Want to keep up my lifestyle? I don't want to beat her car. Help me out, hook brother up. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Why would you want to be that person? We don't want to be the one asking for that, whether it's a loan, a rental agreement, anything like that. Generally speaking, what you want. If what you want requires you to get a cosigner, guess what? Let that be clear sign to you that you can't afford it, and that you need to consider a less expensive alternative, right? So, oh, I just need a cosigner. All right, thank you, Lord. Window of opportunity. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, yeah, you can't afford this unless you get somebody who can. Uh, we're not going to let you do it. Okay, I guess I can't afford it. I'm going to consider something else. Clear sign. What is God's will in this situation? need a What <laughs> What is God's will? <laughs> you don't be that person. Consider less expensive options. Again, we get confused a lot of times, especially in our society, right? Between a want and a need. You might need a home. You need a home. But, hey, I want to live in the... I want to live in Beverly Hills. I don't want to live in this area that's not so great. You may need a car. You know, but... You, do you need a, a brand new one? Do you need the top-of-the-line luxury sports car or something like that? No. You can take a clunker. If it moves, it'll get you from point A to point B. Right? I know. This is it's the situations we put ourselves in. So you don't want to put someone in the situation that will require them to become liable for your debt. And guess what? I mean, usually this is friend, family. You're not really loving that person or having any concern for them if you're going to say, hey, uh, could I basically get all this stuff Can you sign and put your whole baby's livelihood perhaps at risk and me take no risk at all. That's not what a friend would do. So it goes both ways. You don't be that person. It's a clear sign that it's not meant to be. There are always other alternatives and then don't do it for somebody else. You can help them in so many ways. That was just some examples of how you could help them. Christian love doesn't, doesn't mean, yes, I'll co-sign. It means I can give you something, I can lend you something, I can work with you on your budget. Hey, I know someone who would actually give you, uh, probably give you a job. Those are all these solutions. But hey, that takes, takes work. I mean, man, it takes a little more commitment than done, right? But we need to be willing to do that. It wouldn't be wise to do the alternative. So at the end of the day, here's what we need to remember. We need to be good stewards of what God's provided for us. You know, everything that you have, he's given to you. Amen. Like, well, I, I worked for it. Well, he's given you the ability to work, to earn that. So it's all come from his hand. You need to be a good steward of that. Amen. We should honor the Lord with our wealth. We talked about that, Proverbs 3. We should, what we've we seen in Scripture, we should financially support the gospel ministry of our local church. Amen. That would be honoring the Lord with our wealth. We're called to the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations, and that's going to start right here. We should fund that. Uh, we should financially support and provide for our relatives. I mean, we, we have a spouse, we have our children, and we even have our, our parents who, had, who spent their whole first part of their lives raising us and investing in us, and we owe it to them when they're at a point of need to Amen. provide for them. Amen. <laughs> The circle of, of financial assistance and provision. We should contribute to the needs of the saints. Show hospitality. We're called to do those things. And yes, we God's given us above and beyond what we absolutely need, and we can make wise decision and spend it as we will. But we should never gamble it. Look, like, potentially just throw it away. Never a wise decision. Of course, we should always be willing to share, but we should never be willing to be ensnared. To risk it all, potentially just throw away what God's given to use, use for many purposes in your own responsibilities. What, happen, what happens when that's taken away because you foolishly gambled it? So, be willing to share. Be generous. You've been called to that. Never be willing to to foolishly gamble it. Never be willing to be ensnared. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your wisdom on this fairly specific situation that time and time again, even today, people encounter and and people put themselves in the situation, and maybe we have, Lord, and, uh, and we've learned a hard lesson from it, or maybe we're presented with that situation, but we thank you for giving us insight, giving us wisdom on the matter, equipping us so that we might really see things clearly the way you see them and, and apply your wisdom to our lives that we wouldn't pay unnecessary consequences and, and suffer destructive consequences for foolish decisions, Lord, but that would, we would make wise choices and fulfill the obligations we have to you, the obligations that we, we have, Lord. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son to pay the impossible debt that we could never pay, not to just be there as a backup plan, but to be plan A, the first plan to take on our our impossible debt of sin and that he paid it in full. Lord Jesus, we we owe you our lives. You have have called us out of darkness. You have liberated us from slavery to sin that we might no longer live for ourselves, but live for you. Help us to be wise and wise. To glean from the wisdom of your word. To live wisely in this world. And to do the things you've called us to do. To love you. To love one another. And to fulfill that great commission. To make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything you've commanded us, Lord. Let your word guide us continually. Let it guide us this week. May we not forget the wisdom you have put into our hands. Amen.